0: Welcome to episode number 12 of Off the Record. We're sort of getting those numbers up there fast. You can go to offtherecord.fm to keep up with new episodes always. And we also post show notes there as well for you to keep along with episodes uh, and all the links we talk about, etc. Uh, feel free to ask us questions or email us directly through Tumblr or email. Uh, we like working those into the podcast. In fact, that's pretty much... All we're doing today is ask, is answering some really great listener questions, and we're excited to do that. Uh, we've also been getting a lot of iTunes ratings lately, and that has been so helpful. So you can find uh, our iTunes link as well at our offtherecord.fm website. Hello, Jesse. How's it going? You know, it's a long day, but I'm excited to do this. Four o'clock, and it's already been a long day. Oh, yeah. 420. It's 420 right now. Oh, man. I know. I know. I don't smoke a lot, but when I... Actually, I don't at all. Anyway. Oh, you're afraid your mother's listening, aren't you? She listens. She listens... She, they listen every every weekend on their way home from New Jersey back into the city.
1: Wow.
0: They said last time you sounded very nasally, and I said he was just hungover. <laughs> I, you know, I think sounding nasally for me, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just by everyday existence. We're just two... One middle-aged and one young-aged white guy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's true. Anyway. <laughs> two, uh, we have two quick listener questions And then we're going to get into some media stuff uh, first one's for Jesse Could you maybe talk a little bit about The difference between producing a record And then mastering it I'm going to talk about producing
1: mixing and mastering since that's probably the better distinction producing the record you're the person who's in charge of the overall quality you oversee the whole records process and it's your job to figure out a plan on how to make the whole record come out good maybe aside from album artwork and stuff like that but whether it's needing to get session musicians policing good performances telling them the songs suck that's your job mixing is then after you've recorded all the tracks, you're finding the way to blend them together and how to present them to put it down to two tracks. Now, anytime you're listening to something in your home, you're listening to a two-track mix. Mastering is taking that two-track mix and polishing it and maybe giving an objective perspective so that it could sound a little bit better than it would have since Everybody's lost their objectivity of that process no matter how well you've been working at it. You heard it in a way that was very raw and you might have gotten the way some of the raw thing used to how some of the raw things sounded. The mastering engineer comes in, gives a nice objective perspective and tweaks that overall thing over. Um, but sometimes the mixer and the mastering engineer are the same person. I happen to master a lot of my mixes, but I also master a bajillion records for other people too
0: it's been interesting for me as bad timing has gone on to sort of see like how little things make different differences in terms of each of those person's jobs uh and you having though we can't announce all it have now been doing uh you've had now have had every job in that sequence for us i guess right Mm -hmm. and it's like even now we're we're working on a record um where jesse is remastering the audio uh I don't know, Just, it's interesting, I think Just I didn't know either necessarily, I guess a year ago uh, How precise each of these things were And how different they were from each other
1: You know, it is shocking how much can make a difference But I think one of the things we should discuss at a later episode Is how you can tell when you need a To re-record a record altogether You need a new mix, or you need a new master Because I think that's something people get wrong a
0: lot mm-hmm. So one day Yeah, I agree Okay, one day. Other the other the other quick question is uh why can labels like Bad Timing or um, Enjoy the Ride repress albums uh like Phantoms or uh the cartel record, but something like Can't Slow Down and Through Being Cool by Saves the Day or Boys Night Out, Make Your Life Sick, uh haven't been, re- been reissued. So basically, make yourself sick. Make yourself sick. Uh why haven't those records been reissued? Uh It's actually a pretty simple question. Uh, Saves a Day is probably the easiest here, and just that uh, those records both came out on Equal Vision, and Equal Vision typically does not license out their albums to uh, smaller labels to do. And uh, I have personally (laughs) hit up Equal Vision many times to try to reissue uh, both Armors for Sleep records. And it's just a no-go with them. You'll, you'll see them continuing to reissue records. If those Saves the Day records aren't on vinyl right now, I would assume they would be soon, especially because I know some of them are nearing anniversary, so that would just make sense. Uh, for that Boys Night Out record, I think that came out on Ferret, if that's correct. Um, you are correct. So, I don't know, Ferret is in a weird limbo state always, I feel. So I, I bet that might be the case where someone just hasn't gotten in touch with whoever currently owns that label and I think it's Warner or something along those r- lines yeah. right now. But I would say you'd have a better chance of seeing that Boys Night Al- Out album reissued by a label like my own uh, versus the original label, unlike the Saves of Day one. Um, just because that Boys Night Out record is perceivably not going to sell that many records and may not be worth it for the original label to do all by themselves. Um, okay. So the, uh, the first topic we have this week is, is how to seek management once you decide you need it uh, coming from the band, uh, from a band's perspective. And I guess we could also talk about the flip side of when, when should a manager maybe seek a band or something like that. So for you, Jesse, I mean, I guess you see it from multiple, you've seen it now from multiple perspectives as well. When coming from the perspective of like a producer... Who, who is working with a band that, do, that doesn't have management, are you ever like, hey, I think I should key you up with someone, and vice versa, are you ever working with a band that's just truly a baby band, not many shows, hasn't like really toured out of local yet, where you're like, you really don't need a manager to be emailing me 10 times a day yet.
1: Yeah, so I guess we could even go take a step before that before we get there, is that, you should self-manage your band and you should be able to self-manage your band very well um, because no manager wants to work with a band that sucks at working and is just incompetent and waiting for you to do everything. That should be the preface, but yeah, I mean, there's... Two two ways this used to go down when I still used to manage bands is usually i just say to a band when they'd get done in the studio, I'd say, listen, you need help with that stuff. I'm always here to answer questions. I still say that to bands. Just in the past, it used to be that I would take on a band who I said that to, like Man Overboard or Transit, after I saw they were working hard. Now I don't take on the bands, and now I may, you know— Uh, A great example is Somos. When they got out of the studio, I told them, call me anytime, and they called me all the time, and then they got uh, their manager right now, and, you know, he takes care of a lot more, and, you know, maybe we'll discuss something, but I'm always happy to give advice. I think that bands should try to find somebody to have advice with, but I think there's also a thing of getting management a little too early could sometimes be that thing of you just don't learn, like, not only do you not learn how to work hard for yourself, but you also don't know when you're getting suckered. When you've seen what all these jobs entail and what people are charging you for them and doing for them and whether they're doing them or not, as you get to know that stuff, you you get wise to when somebody's not pulling their weight. And that's
0: re- one of the most important things I think possible in music. And we probably keep coming back to this a little bit, but someone like Justin from Man Overboard or Kyle from Real Friends, and this was the first thing that you said was just that they both sort of could manage their own bands without a manager. They both have managers those bands, but like it's always good if your band and I don't mean this in a mean way is just not completely helpless without someone above them. Uh, because that you you usually you I think fans can even typically tell general fans can tell when a band is like helpless on their own, and that you know a lot of that often bleeds through into social media stuff or just how website and merch is presented or. All of that. It, it's good when there's a. It's good when the manager is not like the boss of the band, but it, there's a direct line of communication, and it's so helpful. Even for me now, uh, Joe and Nick and Knucklepuck Puck are very good and on top of stuff. And Kevin, the bassist of Knuckle Puck, he he. I know anytime I need an interview done or for something to get posted on a social network, I can just send it to him. Like it's great. It's so nice when bands have different band members have different skill sets. And the manager mm-hmm. feels comfortable with that. Um, but I think a lot of times, too, like bands seek management really early just because they feel like uh, another band that they may know is bigger than them and has a manager. Again, whether that bigger band, smaller, bigger band, needs it or not as well.
1: Yeah, I think that that's another one of the things, too, is about bands seeking it is like no manager, like what managers wanna do is they want to come aboard an adventure. They don't want to solve the fact that you're a ship in the ocean. You're like, I don't know which way gets us back to North America. And you're just lost at sea, and no one wants to figure out how we get that ship on board. They want somebody who's exciting, doing something, and good with that. So the other side of that is when you're exciting and you're good at it, Managers start coming your way. And the other big problem I've seen, and I've seen so many bands career, I think it's one of the things that people don't realize about behind the scenes of like when you were like, wow, that band had so much potential, they made that great record and nothing worked out, is sometimes they trusted a manager. And that manager could even be an experienced manager and have like four other good bands, but they trusted that person, and that person wasn't working hard for them and wasn't savvy. And the band breaks up because they trusted this person who got them nowhere. And you and miss your chance. Yeah. So and much m- is about timing. I, so much is about timing. So much is about momentum. I actually think momentum is more important than timing. I but agree. I, I think uh, – so many bands are like, okay, well, Darren, who's, you know, he managed that one other band. He can take care of us. And you don't realize that, like, Darren's not solving your problems. You've been sitting around, like, nine months. You haven't recorded it, anything. You've been playing some shows and everything. But Darren's just been basically humoring you, like, yeah, that next break's coming. I'm working on Jimmy Fallon. And it's like, cool, you have 5,000 Facebook and likes. And he's working on Jimmy Fallon because he thinks that's the key. Like, I've seen that so many times. And I think the big key is is that you have to... Get that momentum on your own and write the songs that people are excited about. Because once you do, there's going to be a million managers hitting you up about managing you. Well, I think that the big thing I would say is that it's the overall philosophy should be that you have to create your own momentum. And to expand upon the momentum, what we mean by that is that not that every three months there's something for Zach or Absolute Punk to post about your band like that. Every two weeks, there's some, you're doing something interesting that your fans can be sharing and blogs can be posting. And if you're not figuring out something that's worth posting about every two weeks, you're probably not going to get a lot of momentum.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I got it now. Yeah. I think I agree. And then building off of that more, like it's not necessarily the manager's job to come up with everything either. Like obviously like you do want the manager to bring in a ton of good ideas and contacts and everything. But at the root of that, like, those ideas can only exist if the band has something of warrant to share or release or something like that. And I think, like, my job currently, like Knucklepuck, I have a ton of things going on. My job isn't necessarily to come up with all those things, but it's to make sure those, hap- those things happen when they're supposed to happen and to keep everything on track. But if there's nothing to keep on track or there's no motivation from the band... Once you get a manager, because everything might they think might uh, should be like so easy, like that's that's just not going to be a good scenario. And then on the case of someone, you know, a band who has buzz early getting picked up by a manager who has a bunch of other big bands, like like you know you should be careful. Uh, you know, we similarly for labels, like we can see what happens when a really really small baby band gets signed to Rise or Hopeless or Fearless or whatever those. Bigger labels are. It's so easy to get lost in the mix, and that's true for management or record labels. Um, and I think it's like sometimes the biggest name isn't always the best name for what your band is right now. And if you're a really small band, like I don't, I don't know that it would make sense to get picked up by someone that manages five big bands on record label X, Y, and Z.
1: Uh, you know, I have a little bit of a qualm with that. Um, I have noticed in my years of doing this that the manager and the uh, you know, label work for the band who works hard. And if they see you working hard and they see fans responding to music, even if you're a really small band— They get behind that and know that that's a good investment. And whereas that other big band may have been now writing the records that are kind of diminishing their career or their real pains in the ass because they're rock stars. I've seen the the smaller band get the more attention because they're brighter, fresher, newer and more ready to kick ass. And so I don't always know that that philosophy is great. But I think that gets us back to the point is that you have to get good at kicking ass on your own or this is never going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the most important thing. Like uh, (laughs) the same, like we talked about on a recent episode. Like you gotta, you still have to write the right, the the good music to get to where you want to go. And and that's and that's certainly part of this. As is, as is, just being smart and realizing what you can do to make your band better on your own. Because you know, manager. You know, hopefully that manager is really going to kick ass for you, as is everyone else on your team. But like, you still need the drive because it's only going to make everyone else want to work harder around you if it's clear how passionate you are. Um. But I, yeah, go ahead. There's another philosophy behind that too that we should get
1: into. Is too is that the more work you're handling for your manager that is just dumb work, like whether it's handling your Twitter and Facebook in your Tumblr to, you know, not having to trouble your manager with like doing the merch orders, your manager could be doing other more important work for you. And that you may not be very good at doing. Um, Especially if your manager is a really social person. You know, I as a manager was not a very um, go out network and schmooze type of guy. So I was really good at just doing all the smart strategy but if your manager is good at making connections and networking and doing introductions all day why bog him down with you know <laughs> do we a, answering your tumble or questions or something totally like <laughs> you should be doing that for sure
0: yeah it's a like i'm very like glad that <laughs> Knucklepuck puck do all, all of that on their own but i on the other like vice versa for my bands like For light years, I do handle a lot of social stuff, and sometimes it can be hard for me because I feel somewhat disingenuous. But that, like, shouldn't be a shock for anyone to hear because a ton of managers or even labels post stuff to bands' Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts, like, especially when it's around time of releasing a new album when you need to, like, when uh, you have your album coming out at 10 like Best Buy stores and five FYE stores in every different country and like you need to like geotag posts per country and it's this really mundane boring thing but it is always nicer I think when the band is up to doing at least part of that legwork themselves because it most of the time, it's going to feel pretty disingenuous for it. certainly for like me or you, but also potentially the reader as well. If the manager can't carry the same voice the band has, I think the voice is so important and so important. The voice is so
1: important. And, you know, th- there have been points where I could like figure out the voice of the band and um do some of the posts. But it always is better coming from the band. It's even better to just say. To just shoot a text and say, "Hey, we have to link this. Do it your own way," because you know you're you're around the age of the bands you manage. But you know, I I, I would shoot myself in the face if I ever said Suppie.
0: suppy. Suppy. Mm, I man. just emailed you with that. Oh man. <laughs> you can you you can say it. I can't. That's fair. That's fair. Good. Don't say that. Yeah. This is also so interesting. I think even like from the website perspective, I see I can clearly tell when there's like some post on Facebook and it's like, there's no way a band full of twenty three year olds wrote this or something like whatever the age is. It's just very clear. And then it's even funnier when that manager could be thirty five to forty five years old and there's just a large disconnect. I think even if the message is the same, the language is just so different. I think frequently. One thing I will, one more thing I want to add on. We do like a lot of posts. We do we do every weekend we do a thing called showcase on the website. Uh, and that's typically to highlight smaller bands that don't have management or don't have a label or a booking agent and are just like, uh, they're decent enough and it would benefit them from getting some uh, internet eyeballs potentially. Um, a lot of those bands end up now having managers. It's really interesting. like this was not the case at all a year and a half ago to two years ago. And now I would say like at least half of those bands have managers on a small on, on any level. And a lot of those managers are just so, if you were one of those managers and you are listening to this, like it's okay to not email us like 15 times in two days. Like it's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay most of the time, especially for your band. I promise it's gonna be okay. You don't need to harass someone. That's the worst. Maybe maybe that's a, that's a good
1: point too. Is um so we we're talking about one that you most of the time if you're doing well that managers are gonna be the ones who approach you and it's all you know what we didn't say. If you approach the manager with this cold email, first off they're probably not gonna listen to you, and second off if they do decide to take you on, you're now the person who kind of begged. And if you're writing 15 times a week, you're really begging. And no one works hard for the beggar. And why do you want to be that? That's why you have to create this point of leverage. I'm really, there's a passage in my book called uh, Hugh Cares the Least Wins. And that's not about not caring about your songs. But when you're so self-sufficient, like one of the great examples is like when I was managing Man Overboard, we were growing so fast that we weren't like, okay, we need to sign to a label tomorrow because we're growing just as fast as a band that's on a label. So we didn't need to go for the first horrible contract we got offered and boy were the early versions of some contracts that we got offered terrible. And cuz of that we got a really amazing contract with Rise cuz we didn't we were too proud to beg. And um you no one likes when you're annoying them. I know the squeaky wheel gets oiled, but there's a really
0: happy medium like anything else in life. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so our first sponsor this week, we have a new sponsor, uh, and it, it, the title of it, it it's, a no, it's a book, uh, it's a novel, and the title of that novel is called This Parachute is a Knapsack. Uh, it's the first novel written by author Joseph Calderon. It follows the story of the nameless main character's honest and upfront approach towards life with friends and girlfriends. Chapters are simple and self-contained, demands no commitments from readers, uh, it's read in the first-person view as the antihero finds out how life can really change in a year's time. Readers have described some chapters as vulgar and possibly insulting to others who uh, read his views on love, friendship, and religion. So there seems to be a happy medium between enjoyment and passion there. Uh, for fans of Charles Bukowski, and you can find out more info by going to com. Uh, and once again, the novel is "This Parachute is a Knapsack," and you can find out more about that by Joseph Calderon at joeisariter.com Thank you so much for sponsoring Off the Record this week. Our second topic is uh, how can a band increase uh, increase draw without gimmicks on tour and locally, and I'll even add into that like socially on the internet as well, I guess, because that 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 fits in too. Um, Gimmicks are cheesy. Gimmicks are like yeah. gimmicks are, are as simple as that. Um I have a question though that I think would be an interesting diving point, and that's relating to you, um, which is that so you were uh, you were kinda there when Man Overboard started defend Pop Punk as a fake oh, yeah. as like I a mean, normal no, t shirt design. Yeah, no kind of. I mean Yeah, you yeah. were that was that was your era. Mm-hmm. And I think then, from all that I know from talking to both you and the other guys in the band, that it was just a rip-off T-shirt of a hardcore band that I don't remember the name of. They're they're called Most Precious Blood. Most Precious Blood. They're very, very old friends of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, soon enough, that kind of started a very large thing. And now I think some people either just accept it at face value, but it's also, um, it's also like, Catered as is a gimmick too. I think by people that just dislike the band. Um, mm-hmm. So we, were, I think it's interesting because in this case, you and I would both say like bands should typically stay away from gimmicks. We've seen how gimmicks have failed. I,
1: I actually don't agree with you. you don't. should stay away from gimmicks. Okay. Some bands, some bands, it's fine to have a gimmick. It's fine to be a gimmick, but realize that gimmicks usually have less of a lifespan than. Um, a band that doesn't have a gimmick, uh, let's say. And usually gimmicks are going to turn down some of the more highbrow audience. Right. That's the downside of gimmicks. The upside of gimmicks is that, you know, they can work really, really well. I mean, Slipknot is a huge, huge band. They are a big band. and, all, and But, you know, like to get into Slipknot, um, the reason they don't get as frowned upon. As most bands would, is that they had the music to back it up. Like you know, there's no one who listens to heavy music that doesn't say Iowa is a sick, sick record. I don't. I don't say either way. <laughs> yes. Well, we we know we we know that's a that's a little too aggressive for your emo ness.
0: A little aggressive. I don't know. With me, I think I don't know the. La- we kind of talked about. They're different topics, but a a few episodes ago, we talked about viral like hoaxes and stuff. And yeah, they're, I think they're definitely different, but I think there's some overlap too. Um, and I I don't know the last time I can really think of like a true quote unquote gimmick that hasn't flamed out or turned into a dumb viral thing, um, or that that has been truly self sustaining. I think we saw a lot of gimmicks back, um, back in like the, the, end, the tail end of those MySpace pop rock bands that couldn't self-sustain themselves when MySpace died. Uh, and I think a lot of that has died out. But at the same time, like now, currently, I think like we're seeing this, uh, this new age of a callback to earlier years before MySpace where everything is kind of growing organically and locally again. And I don't know that we see gimmicks that often unless we're looking at something like Attila. Sure. I think that's even not even gimmick. That's shock
1: value. But I think shock value and gimmicks are very different. You do? You know, a gimmick is... Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it's just as cheap and viral to do like a Ronnie Radke diss. But I think Attila's much more about... You know, they're going to just sit around. And it's the same thing as, like, the Amir copying the leftover crack shoot the kids at school thing. That's not a gimmick. That's just shock value. It's almost a different category. I think that the gimmick is more like it's a little more hokey and stuff like that. But, uh,
0: yeah, I wouldn't call that a gimmick. So would you call a gimmick something like, like a like a stage outfit a band wears every day? Absolutely. I mean,
1: let's just let's get real here. A gimmick is a trick or a device intended to attract attention, publicity, or business. So, you know, that's a great. pretty broad, yeah, that's a pretty broad definition. But I think what gets people's eyeballs on Attila much more is not about, you know, that definition as much as shock. Um, Whereas what gets people's eyeballs on Slipknot is, why are they doing this? Same thing with Black Veil Brides. I would call those gimmicks. Black Veil, but like, you know, even, um, on an even lesser extent, I can remember how mad a lot of people were about Glassjaw, everything you wanted to know about sil- Silence, about the violence towards women on it. And, um... You know, it was a very interesting thing because so many people did emotionally connect with their anger on that record, but I don't think it's cheap, and that see, record seems to have an insane lasting value. The band can go nearly a decade now without putting it out in an LP and still do great whenever they want to play.
0: Long so, Island Hardcore. Yeah, you know, don't, don't diss. That's some of my favorite stuff of all time. We're, we're getting lunch with the Long Island Hardcore tomorrow. You know, That's true, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, So, but let's get into the reality
1: of this, debating these semantics. Um, What can you do if you don't want to get gimmicky to increase your draw locally or on tour? Um, My biggest thing is, so there's a couple philosophies. One, be anywhere where somebody would like your music would be. So if we're talking about you, you sound like real friends, go to the mall and meet kids in pop punk shirts and hand them to your flyers. Hang out at the mall. That's where kids go. Is there a record store in your town where they go? Why isn't your flyer there? Anywhere you can be, coffee shops, wherever, wherever your fans would be, do it. If you're a bar band, then you better go to all the dirty rocker bars and have up your flyers, put stickers around. But the thing that I think people always get messed up with this is, is... People get into like, I'm going to attack everything in the real world because everybody's using the Internet. I'm going to attack the, the Internet because it's this great new tool and it makes it so easy. I could sit in my bedroom and j- just use the Internet to promote my band on. It's like, no, you have to do both. And it takes people seeing a, a band's name about five times before they're even going to consider listening to them. Absolutely. That's the, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> I can and attest so to you, that. And you, and you got to see it in five different places. You got to see it. You know, somebody you find attractive or cool wearing the T-shirt. Like, you know, I first listened to the Dead Kennedys because the older kids in my town just had their T-shirts on and I was like, oh, well, that band name's cool and I'm going to do it. You know, there's a million ways to do this, but seeing the name over and over creates curiosity. You got to be having it on the stickers, that and then um, a wide variety of mediums and doing things that enable sharing online um, would be my first thing that. I think so many bands don't focus on a broad spectrum of this stuff. They get into this thing of, like, they have this big plan for this online viral gimmick thing. And then instead, it, what it should just be is, like, you know, bands, when I was growing up, knew this. You had to do flyers for shows are, for, are very cheap advertising. Stickers are very cheap advertising. T-shirts are the best uh, advertising there is because that's a person who may look cool to another person giving an endorsement to you. I mean, and it's a pretty big real estate endorsement. Um, you
0: got to do it all. Yeah. yeah, yeah coming, like Coming from property Zach's side, it's interesting the first time we post about a band and like seeing the notes on Tumblr versus maybe the five or 10th time we post about that band. And yes, the band might doing a, might be doing a lot of independent growth on their own. But I think just from like truly five years of this that I can like I definitely see that Unless, like, we've just purposely never covered that band and suddenly we are and they're already a popular band. Like, if they're a young or a new band, like, it's very rare that, you know, the first time I hear about something, I usually hear about things sooner than most of our audience does. And that, because that's my job, I get sent stuff all day. It, you know, it might take five press releases before I click on a band name, right? And similarly to like, it might take five times uh, on Properties Act before you check out whatever band this is. Um, and just over the years, it's very apparent to me that that first time, like, it's probably not going to happen too well. That's why. That's why even when a band comes around to like even something like their second record, they they might announce the album name, track listing, art first, well before they release a song because they might want to try to get more people potentially excited about the song that weren't. Going to check out that band beforehand, especially when you get to somewhere like a band leaves one label to join a bigger one. Um, uh, have mercy to a hopeless, a man overboard in transit to arise. Like there are all these things where sometimes it just takes a while for someone to click on that song link, even though they may loved it. they may have loved it three weeks ago and they've been missing out ever since. There's no there's no perfect solution in my mind, but there are a lot of little things to do, and they all add up. Uh, agreed. And I think that that's a th- big philosophy, too, is yet you're
1: always trying to accumulate subtleties. It's not one thing that's going to do this. It's going to be thousands of little things that builds a fan base that's big. And um, so to talk about actionable things that I see that make a big difference, though. Waking um, merch that people actually want to wear that say your band name's very visible. Um, Man Overboard, we made postcards on all the early tours that had went to our free music page where you could download our music, a sampler of a bunch of songs for free. But those postcards on the other side, aside from where we talked about all the cool things we're doing and wrote all the good reviews we have, um, had a nice logo with the band's name that you could hang up on your wall or your mirror too. So that we had a free advertisement every time somebody was sitting in their bedroom or an actionable thing where they could grow. Um, posters. So when we talk about every time you should be anywhere somebody's going, well, where do most of your fans go? Two shows. You have an opportunity that every time you're playing a venue that they will hang a poster for you where hopefully, you know, you can't always be as obvious as defend pop punk in big letters like what we did with Man Overboard. But like with Transit, we just made, um, posters with a good review that described the sound of the band and would send those to the venue. And you now have a free advertisement in all the places that your fans are going to because they're going to a different show the week before. They're seeing your name. They're saying, hey, I could actually have a good time with you that night. And then they also see your band's name next to other bands they may like and then decide I should check them out because I'd like to know them when the show comes or I should know them because they play with the other bands I love. The tour posters thing, I think, is one of the biggest lost opportunities and there's no ban that's too small for a tour poster because venues are dying to do anything to get people in the door these yeah, days. Yeah, t- they, 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 just, have to,
0: post they just have to thumbtack thumb, thumb something into the wall, and it's free advertising for them.
1: Yeah, and also don't forget, it's not just the venue, too. Is like, you know, start building a street team and get people to put it up around town and the places that the kids go, whether it's the record stores or the coffee shop or whatever that'll hang that stuff it all makes a huge 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 difference like that's one of the things i i see slept on so 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 much is the tour posters
0: yeah yeah it's just it's so simple and i think i think a lot of people a lot of bands probably don't think it's like probably just never even get there and thought how do you like it's probably something that never even crosses your mind um Especially now because, like you said, with the mall stuff, like I can't really think of too many bands that would do that now. But I think the bands that would do that are better off for it in the long run.
1: Oh, my God. And But during the MySpace era, every band we had in here did that. They just like sit at the mall, go up and put the headphones of their iPod on young kids with T-shirts and try to play their music, meet them, and that's how they got kids to shows even if they were terrible because then they had a legion of 14 year olds who were just impressed they met somebody
0: yeah i guess i've never really been to a mall that's my problem city city, city kids you see i grew up in a mall city kid. you did you're from jersey that's mall, mall yeah left. i mean that's what you did but my mom would drop me
1: off the off there at 3 30 pick me up at like 8 and you know i'd sit there i'd learn how to talk to girls and like browse records in record town and be like yeah this hair metal record's awesome woohoo
0: that must have been nice i didn't learn how to talk to girls until i was 17 but whew. wow is that yeah geez. new york city uh wow. <laughs> socially i want to talk about a little bit like of the social aspect i think um you you talked to, you said in passing like there's thousands of little things not just three or four that can make that difference uh in a long-term effect and I think like now that we have something like Tumblr and a way for bands to answer questions, for example, is has been such a like benefit. And I can I I've seen that taking place. Like the more the more you give good and good like exciting answers that kind of feed into the personality of the, of the band, that only helps. Um, oh yeah, like you just people just want to connect, and I, I think like what's better than you asking. The world is a beautiful place. A question on Tumblr. You like their music because it hits you right and then you see an answer from Derek in the band and the answer is the most sarcastic, like piece of shit kind of answer ever, and you're stoked. Because that's like what the band makes you like that's a perfect answer from that band to a lot of people. And now sometimes I wake up to like thirty questions when I'm scrolling through Tumblr and they all have like a hundred likes. That's a really good job. And he just likes answering those questions but it turned like it ends up being really beneficial for the band run for cover and this isn't a band but run for cover is all like Jeff is phenomenal at answering Tumblr questions agreed he's the be- he's my he's the best uh, because he'll answer a lot of meaningful questions and then someone will be an asshole about mail order or just something about the label and he'll like set them straight and it's a gold mine it's like there's nothing better i i enjoy nothing more than seeing when jeff like just teaches a kid a lesson that a kid like desperately needs to be taught. Um, so, some, something like that on Tumblr, I think, is the best current medium bands have on any scale, from small to large, of how to grow, how to grow, how to grow excitement around them based off of their personality and the kind of answers they're giving. And I think that's not that it's undervalued. It's just putting the time in there is kind of really worth it if you hopefully have a personality that fans want to like. Be attached to, uh, in addition to your music, Facebook. As we talked about on a way earlier episode, is kind of a crapshoot, unfortunately. But I think tum- yeah. Tumblr and Twitter are the the best hitters for that. Uh, I, I would fully agree. Um,
1: to uh, get back to another, another one of those points, though, is too uh, is. So you were talking about better shows, better tours, uh, connect with other bands, not with music industry people. Don't care about the promoters as much go on bandcamp put in your genre name put in tags maybe even a state name with that genre name and search tags of um bands that you like that you could become friends with those bonds will take you farther and those people will help you get get people out to your shows you'll make friends they'll help promote you you'll help promote them and the friends you have in other bands, are the most important, I would say, while still saying that you have to do everything, but I think the most important thing you have is your bond with the other uh, bands. And uh, find like-minded people and play shows with them, do tours with them, trade things off, but you got to search them out, introduce yourself, talk, and find bonds. Not everybody you're at right's is going to gonna like your band back, but if you do... And everything works out, you're probably going to have friends who you invite to your wedding one day and, you know, like, really are long-lasting things. I'm still friends with so many of the people I met in a more primitive version of this. And, you know, that's relationships I have where I help people launch their apps now or whatever. And... Uh, I think that that's one of the most overlooked things too is that everybody's just emailing managers like we said in the last segment or emailing the show promoter when really you should be finding the group that you would play a good show with that has a little bit of a draw in that town and talking to them directly.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. And that might be a little like more out of my uh, knowledge on just because I'm not in a band, I've never been in a band, but at the same time, like it's so, I think it's great when I see like when I'm in Philly and I see like, People that I know visibly are in a lot of, like, small Philly local bands, and they all know each other. And Philly is, like, just this really incestuous and in a good way scene right now. Um, but, like, there's no reason that that can't be everywhere else. And, and maybe not in, like, a random town in the mid-west-west where there's, like, no band between every hundred miles from each other, but, like, in these areas where, like, punk rock tends to be whether that's new york or boston or philly or something else like why wouldn't you want to play with those bands anyway like that only means another show for you and that might only mean and that might mean another 20 people see you for the first time and maybe 10 of those people like you or maybe five of those people like you but those are just the those are the building blocks and like you you need your building blocks unless you're going to get really lucky uh and if you don't have a gimmick
1: (laughs) yeah and um To also say this, though, like, too, like, when we talk about a gimmick, um, you know, there's a fine line between when people start calling something a gimmick. But I think there also is, the thing is, there is an image and a style. And even, you know, a perfect example of this is, like, even for Man Overboard, we were very much of a rebellion against, like, you know, being a little too manicured. And that got us... You know, uh, people to pay attention. The same thing with trans. It was just like when I say gimmick and style, it doesn't mean that like you know you have to all of a sudden get swooped hair and or start with the Hitler youth haircut that's popular where I live. That's <laughs> um, true. It's crazy. Um,
0: but uh, I can't wait for my mom to listen to this episode.
1: You don't think those haircuts look like Hitler youth? I, no, you really, t- really close. Shape, I just close don't shape. think I've,
0: I just don't think I've realized that. But yeah, you're totally. Yeah, now, now, now going on the subway is going to be a great experience for me. You and your mom could come and visit me in Williamsburg sometimes. We could talk all about it. I'm going to
1: pass. Um, <laughs> um, so, but here's the thing is, find some graphic look that works for your bands. Find something, and then um, I, I should even add to the thing of the breach of the bands. One of the biggest mistakes bands also make is they play with bands all the time that who would want to see a show where it's the local metalcore band, then you have a singer-songwriter, and then you have a pop-punk band. Like, no one wants to see that show. You have to play shows with like-minded people and at the venues where fans are already regularly going to. And if you can't get into that, that's because you're not making friends with the bands that are already playing there. You should do it, and you should go out and be a part. Here's another big thing is, go to all the other shows you you can, and as much as handing out CDs is obsolete, find out some way to talk to people, give them a postcard of your music, talk to them, figure it out. You know, Man Overboard, one of the big ways that that Hung Up On Nothing EP got popular is that those guys went to every Philly show and handed out, they handed out, like, I think over a thousand CDs of Hung Up On Nothing. Back when no one, you know, they didn't have a Facebook page when this was going on. That's crazy. Um,
0: Yeah, that's just, that's work ethic. You gotta have it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that really, really... Made a difference for us at the beginning. Um, that and you know another thing that I don't think uh, gets discussed here. By write about this in my book, but um, I've had a lot of the bands I've worked with be very successful when they're in their early days. And obviously, you can't do this when you're playing a thousand seater. But like, you turn to, to the audience and you say, "Hey, this was really special tonight. This was a great show. We want all of you to be able to enjoy this later. Our merch is name your own price. And if somebody says," Free for a CD or a dollar for CD. You hand them a burnt CD with a with a cheap cover on it. If you they give you $10, you give them a CD and maybe a T-shirt. But when you're starting off and you have no fans and no one to go, that's a way to get people hooked on your music. And if they get hooked, they're going to tell another person or three. That's the entry level into it. Do that just make sure everybody's at least going home with your music at the end of the night and you're gonna start pouring a little bit of gasoline on that fire.
0: yeah, if I think if I think if someone takes something home of yours, there's just a way better. Like your odds are I can't even imagine how uh, astronomically increased your your odds are. like that that should be your that should be your game plan at the end of every night. like send everyone home with something.
1: Yeah, that's the goal. whether it's postcards, sticker, button, free CD, whatever. That's the real start to something, um, you know, having a free music page, which can be your band camp. Just make sure you keep refilling your credits and don't be an idiot and say, well, we ran out of credits, so it's not free for the
0: rest of the month. It's $10. Yeah, that's so important. Like knuckle pockets, I've, I've been experimenting back and forth between pay what you want. And sometimes if we hit like a milestone, it'll be free download or then I'll put it back up to $5 or something like that. And it's just. It's not like you should experiment a little too. Like I know, Man Over uh, Modern Baseball is a good example. Like whenever they hit a really big milestone, they'll like give away their first album for free, and they'll get a ton of downloads for it because a lot of people still don't have it. Maybe they only have the second album, and then they'll get back into the first one because they hadn't downloaded it before. And uh, like there you go, it only it only helps. Someone someone will see that for the first time, and they'll download it because. Like you got people really excited that you're doing something cool and like giving this away for free. And that works on a sliding scale depending like on how popular or potentially popular your band is. But like Bandcamp is nice, I think, specifically because you can you have so many options to play with there and they're all kind of to your advantage and it's to your disadvantage, I think, if if you don't play with them. Even like like Jesse mentioned earlier, like those tags. Those tags are helpful. Like I can't like that like the tags for like the Phillies the Philly tag is like Philly punk tag is like that's a thing people go to that every week and they want to hear a new Philly band that sounds like shit and hopefully in a year they're not going to sound like shit but they're going to know of that band because of that tag and that's a cool thing
1: no, I mean the, the, those are huge things for music discovery. The other thing is, like you might be sitting you are going. I don't know anybody who does that, but that's also one of the biggest mistakes you can make in promoting. Is most people are not like you and your friends. Like it was something exactly I got into on a podcast we taped for a later date. Is that most of us who are listening, you're listening to this, or you're doing, or us who do this podcast, we're not the regular thing of music consumption. and Never assume everybody is like you. Tons of people use those Bandcamp tags. Tons. And tagging your music with a whole bunch of things, even if you haven't done it, do it right now when you get done with this podcast. Just go in and tag your your record with a few different things about the sound, and I guarantee you, you're going to get more people hearing your music
0: yeah it's just like uh, you said it really simply like everyone is not like you I don't you as we've spoken about in the past like I don't use streaming services, services but like I'm pretty sure everyone else does like it's okay that you may like e- even if you're in the band you may, be, you may be different than your consumer but you know the average consumer like they go for that they like that they like that this band is from Philly and they maybe sound like this other band I love from Philly that I got into because of band camp last month like they're just there, taking, waiting for you to take advantage of, and you're going to miss out if you don't. I think. But well, that was a nice little tangent. Should we get into the last topic? Okay, yeah. The last topic is um, we are asked about someone that is looking to get into the music business. They're not sure what area they want to, yet. But they asked um, what has been our worst industry-related situations that we've been in, and that we've been in, and how have we turned those around? Because what's what's better than ending something on a, well, I guess. Well, what's what's better than ending something on a sad note and then making it happy again, Jesse? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing is better than world peace, maybe. But um, <laughs> so yeah,
1: what, what what horrible horrible thing did you have happen that you learned a great lesson from?
0: I started probiotics when I was sixteen, um, and that meant I was a junior in high school. I was just mostly trying not to fail chemistry. Um, and I I got to see. I remember clearly, uh, but I you know like I was I was doing something that I didn't even know. I,
1: I I don't know why I saw you as a science nerd. Did you? I I did truthfully. Wow.
0: Okay, that's nice. Uh, I, I, I'm a science nerd. I, I'm a nerd for a lot of things. Uh, chemistry is very difficult to me. <laughs> Um, as is finance, accounting, Math 101, Math 102. <laughs> anyway, um, when, I, when I started the website, I was, I was, I was obviously young. Um, that was something that was a benefit for me in a lot of ways because people thought it was cool that I was young. <coughs> Some people were more um, willing to work with me and help me out because they thought what I was doing was interesting and worthwhile and they wanted to make sure I didn't implode by age 17 other people however I was not worth their time at all um and I think that's both warranted and not warranted looking back at it um I didn't like start the website on purpose I didn't know like that you could create a music blog like there there are just some things when you're young that you don't really know exist and that's for anything right and then like you realize three years later this is how something works like before you do it, though, you often have no idea how it works. Um, so there was about two years there. I don't think I could. I was competently running the website until deep into my freshman year of college. Um, and then I would even say at the start of my sophomore year. And so if you think about it that way, that's two to two and a half years. And I think my, my worst uh, situations are all kind of the same where I did something foolish, not because I just because I was ignorant of why it would be foolish. Um I, I have a really good example of uh and this is one that I guess turned around was that when I was a senior in in high school, uh someone told me that saves the day were signing to uh Razor and Tie Records. And I wanted to leak that story to try to get eyeballs on the website. So I did leak that story and I did get some traffic and like the band even retweeted it. But I got chewed out. I've been yelled at truly only by like a few people in my life. Um, And one of the first real times was by this lovely publicist named Jenna who used to work at Razor and Tie. And she had been very good to me beforehand and... She basically sent me like the scariest email in the world, and like just tore me apart about leaking the story. Instead of doing something more proactive, which would have been me emailing Jenna and saying, "Hey Jenna, it's come to my attention that Saves a Day are signing to Razor and Tie. I think that's rad. I have this exclusive. I will. I can either post it now." Or like we could work out something together where I get the exclusive and it makes more sense to post it when it's easier, when it's best for you guys. Um, And instead of doing that, I was just too nervous and I was just, you know, I I was singular focused on one vision and I posted it and I like had – and then I created this really damaging uh, uh, like co-working experience with this publicist for for like a year and a half. And then slowly like I became back in her good graces and – Now we have a really good working relationship because she saw I could grow and change. However, there are managers, publicists, and others that I burned bridges because I made mistakes regarding their bands when I was 17 and learning how to do this. And I still piss people off today, but I probably know a little better why. And back then, I just had no idea. Um, And so I don't know how this helps the person answering this question Maybe it will tell them where to stay away from scary situations, but... I th- well, I think... Th- th- here, here, here's how here, here's I could tie that story
1: back. Don't air the music business's dirty laundry. You and I have been dealing with something for the past few days where somebody who's a record producer is doing something I would never do, which is they want to tell a bad story about a member of a band. And I think that that's the stupidest thing you can do because you erode the trust of the people you want to work with. And while we could get into this whole WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden scenario with this, it's fucking punk rock. Like, everybody's gonna know in 30 days. No one's keeping secrets that are gonna harm the world from each other. Yeah,
0: and not only are you, like, maybe hurting trust, but you could also be, like, hurting the band. Um, And, like, there's there's just things when, I think when it comes back to, like, some of the stuff I was talking about with a website, where it's just smart to, sometimes it's just smart to think things through. Like, we all get very excited, uh, a lot of what we do is excited we're excited about work, working in music that's still crazy but at the same time like just think about things from a different perspective for like I remember every month uh, when I was starting out with the site I would look back and the last month I would I would feel like I knew nothing and then a month later like in the present day of that of that whatever we could be I'd be like wow I've learned so much and a month after that I'd look back and once again and be like wow I knew nothing back then, and so I think when you're starting, I would assume in any business, in any industry, in any school, like you, you, when it's the beginning, you start learning so much so soon, and that's very exciting. But it's also at the same time, like, very important to be smart about whose toes you might be stepping on, because there's a chance that like you're going to be stepping into a lot of, a lot of different toes. What about you, Jesse? Yes,
1: the story I'd like to impart is. uh I've learned very well, so I have to make an agreement with every single band I record. So mastering, it doesn't have to be as long because it's just a quick process. But, like, when I record, I have to send a band a four-page contract for them to sign. And the thing I've learned about these contracts is they don't need to be these crazy legal things that say, that are in, like, that language that only lawyers can read, so it intimidates people who aren't smart enough in legalese to read them. I write a very plain-spoken contract. It even has jokes. I say, right at the start, this is to protect both you and me, and so we both understand what you're paying for. It's also so that my insurance company covers the session. And I, you know, I make the joke, I'm like, you know, if there's a another Hurricane Sarah Sandy, Sarah Palin turns into a fire-breathing dragon or something— we're covered. Um, but I think what's the biggest thing that a big mistake I made, and there's been many of them, but I think is very pertinent, is you want to ask a lot of questions and don't feel like a contract needs to be this crazy, complicated thing. Sometimes it's really just to get it good to get an email chain going with somebody that you're going to do a business agreement with that you don't know well that just says something. It's like if my contract says you get... 10 hours of a sober, attentive engineer operating a Pro tool system who is proficient in what you're asking for. Um, it also says that there will be reasonable breaks for bathroom, occasionally a reasonable phone call. There will be no hour-long lunch break on that. I don't, I know some people do that. I don't do that. I want them to know exactly what they're getting and they're paying for um, because anytime I don't spell that out, I've gotten in a lot of trouble. Um, Years ago, I got a lawsuit threatened with me to a band because I was missing one little thing in this contract. I didn't say you need to be of 18 years old to sign it. And the kids canceled the session. And I was like, okay, well, I keep your deposit because I always get a quarter of the money up front before to hold the dates for the band so that they have an incentive to show up. And this band demanded that they be canceled. And then their parents threatened a lawsuit to me that they were saying I was, uh, it wasn't entrapping, but I was, like, you know, doing something to a minor. And uh, my showed it to my lawyer, and he said, give them their money back. Give the, You know, they wanted a couple hundred extra dollars in legal fees. He's like, and do it this afternoon. But the thing was, this band had booked three weeks. So now I didn't have any of the money, and I had no session for three weeks. And it financially destroyed me. Like, it took months for me to recover from that. And um, it was a very big lesson that, like, you should constantly be revising a small agreement and it's whether it's your producer Sometimes, and it's even with your band. Like, you know, when let's say your drummer needs to borrow $500 at one point, because something gets crazy. If we discussed this in a previous episode, you should have a band agreement, add that in very simple language, to the band agreement and get new initials on it. Every time you do these things, because it just makes sense. Like, you know, um, We are presently seeing something like, you know, with the band, we know that, you know, a lot of agreements were breached and there's been a lot of bad communication and uh, it can get really ugly when that happens. And um, whatever instance it is, I think the main thing I'm trying to say here is contracts don't need to be ridiculous with lots of clauses. Get two signatures on it. Get an agreement to it and just let everybody understand and everybody's going to be happy in the end. You know, when some there was a band years ago that came in, they're like, I thought we worked 16 hours a day. I'm like, you guys signed a thing. I work 10 hours most of the time. Sometimes goal is a little bit over, but I work every day. So I can't work more than 10 hours. I'm not one of those producers who works four days a month so I can do 16-hour days. Right. That's just how it is. I've been doing this for 15 years. That's not happening. Got to sleep. Yeah, well, I wish that's what I was doing in those other hours. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, do you have any recommendations this week? Yeah. A band I worked with called Morning Glory just put out a video. I'm really proud of it. The song's called I'm a Machine Gun, it's on the Fat Records. YouTube, I think it's one of the best videos and one of the better songs I've ever produced, and I'm really proud of it. So I'm recommending that and being
0: self-promotional. I'm going to just go that route then, if we're going to just do that. uh, The new Real... Yeah. This episode will be coming out on Tuesday, the same day, uh, Real Friends, new album, uh, Maybe This Place is the Same, and I'm Just Changing, uh, comes out on Fearless Records, so check that out. And then a non-promotional one is uh, Cope by Manchester Orchestra, I listened to that a bunch this past week and uh, I'll also include a link to a podcast that Andy Hall was on with uh, Matt Pryor's Nothing to Write Home About and it was super good and Andy talked a bunch about the record and I just love Manchester Orchestra so I I second that recommendation it's so good, it's just a good record yeah, (laughs) but I mean they're a great band Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. That's offtherecord.fm. To check out show notes, to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at ZZarillo. And our podcast is at Off The Record FM. We'll be back next week.